This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language and mature themes. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 299. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you and tell you all the latest on my life and my writing. More about that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 40 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Danny had once again taken control of her and Daniel's shared body, only to find that she was locked inside the sanctuary, Artax's magic rehab facility for perpetrators and victims of mind control. She was, understandably, furious about this, and started trying to destroy her cell. When that didn't work, she fell to the floor, weeping. Artax, Rebecca, and Sasha watched Danny's tirade on the closed-circuit cameras. All of them were deeply disturbed by what they were seeing. Obviously, this means that the changes Jared made in Danny are permanent, or at least persistent. The one bit of good news is that Jared's soul-shaping power appears to be limited to people in close physical proximity. If he could maintain an active connection to Danny over a long distance— getting her free of his influence might well be impossible. Leaving Rebecca to watch over Danny, Sasha went back to the nest to meet up with Fiona. Fee pointed out that Danny has been denying part of herself and defining her entire identity in terms of her relationship with Jared. If Sasha can help her to realize the barrenness of that emotional state, it may help her to realize that she needs to change. Sasha marveled at the insightfulness of this, because analyzing emotions has never been Fiona's strong suit. Fiona admitted that she was drawing on her own recent experience. She has recently realized that she can't remember most of her childhood before she joined the Collective, and this appears to be related to a deep-seated fear of being helpless. Her refusal to deal with this trauma has been at the root of many of Fiona's recent relationship problems, including her fight with Rebecca. Sasha started working with Fiona to unearth her repressed memories, using her telepathy to probe into Fee's subconscious. Sasha detected a jagged wound in Fiona's psyche, buried deep below the surface, like a chasm on the ocean floor. As she drew close to it, though, she encountered a guardian, a psychic construct in Fiona's mind, built to prevent anyone from accessing the hidden memory. The Guardian rose up out of the deep and wrapped strong tentacles around Sasha's mental projection, and when they broke the mind link, Fiona's hands were wrapped around Sasha's throat. Fiona had no idea how it had happened. 
Evidently, it's going to take a while to work past her defenses. Making the Cut A novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 40 Hey, this is Egan. I'm not here, so leave me a message and I'll call you back. Beep. Miriam rang off and looked down at the telephone, frowning. After a moment's consideration, she dialed another number. Yes, Elder? Peter, have you heard from Agent Hunter in the last twelve hours? I'm afraid not, ma'am. Why do you ask? He left a message on my phone last night. Apparently he found a lead on Victor and Abby's whereabouts and was following up on it. I've been trying to reach him all morning, but it keeps putting me into voicemail. That's odd. Egan's usually pretty meticulous about checking in. Agreed. Miriam looked out the window of her fourth-level apartment, watching the streams of skimmer traffic flowing past on the skyways below. Her brow furrowed as she considered her options. Egan Hunter's uncharacteristic silence put her in a difficult position. If he had gotten into trouble and lost his phone, then it was likely that he was on the right track in his pursuit of Victor. Miriam would have to send in backup, and quickly, or they would risk losing the trail entirely. On the other hand, it was possible Egan had gone silent because he needed to be stealthy. Perhaps Victor was on the move, and Egan was following him. If so, sending in an operations team might alert Victor to Egan's presence and cause him to go to ground. She sighed. They weren't going to get anywhere by being timid, but a modicum of caution was still in order. All right. Put together a team of teeps and espers and have them scout Agent Hunter's last known location. Tell them to converge to a block away and try to contact him telepathically. If that doesn't work, have the espers scan the area before moving in. Your first priority is finding Agent Hunter. We need to know what he knows. Understood. Don't worry, ma'am. We'll find him. Be careful. If Victor discovers that we're following him, he is likely to take the offensive. Tell our operatives to assume that he is hostile and extremely dangerous. They should be prepared to use deadly force. There was a pause on the other end of the line. Elder Bakhtivar, Peter said carefully, Victor may have retired from the collective, but he's still one of us. Miriam winced. She hadn't told Peter yet about what she had learned from Callie Linder, how Victor had murdered Del Matthews and Trace Umbara and pinned the blame on Philippe Devereux. That wasn't information that she wanted to become common knowledge, not until Victor was dead or in custody. If it came out, the Hive would demand to know why Miriam had been unable to spot his deception, and she didn't have an answer to that. Her elder status might be revoked for her apparent incompetence, and then she would be powerless to help Abby. He's a rogue, Peter, she said firmly. I can't give you the details right now, but trust me, Victor is no longer one of us. If the opportunity presents itself, kill him. Don't give him a second chance. Un- Understood, ma'am. Peter out. 
Miriam rang off and put the phone in her pocket. She found herself pacing the floor, looking up at the ceiling, staring at the walls. She pulled out the phone and dialed Egan's number again. Blast it all, Egan. What's happened to you? Victor looked down at the caller ID on Egan Hunter's phone and smiled. He silenced the call, then pulled out his own phone and dialed the number. Yes? Good afternoon, Mr. Westerson, Victor said brightly. I hope I haven't awakened you too early. Only if you intend to waste my time, Victor. What do you want? Oh, it's not what I want. It's what you want. As I hear it, you've been looking for the mastermind behind certain operations that have caused great embarrassment to you and your employer. Victor grinned. I can give her to you. William Westerson only hesitated an instant. How? Here, take down this number. Victor read off the phone number on Egan's caller ID. She's been using that phone to try to contact one of her operatives. She'll keep it with her in case he calls back. Trace the signal, corner her when she's vulnerable, and she's yours. Westerson made a sound deep in his throat, something disturbingly close to a purr. Hmm. Excellent. Well done, Victor. Thank you, Mr. Westerson. I should give you fair warning, this target is the complete package. Brains, beauty, and power, all rolled into one. She won't go quiet, and she won't go easy. That will make the hunt all the sweeter, Westerson said. Now, tell me all about this target. What are her habits? What are her strengths, her weaknesses? Where shall we have the best chance of running her to ground? Victor smiled as he tossed Egan's phone into a nearby trash bin. I'll tell you all that and more. The clock read a quarter to seven when the door to Danny's cell opened and Sasha walked in carrying a tray full of food. Someone slid a chair into the room behind her, then the door closed and bolted shut. The petite blonde woman looked around at the pictures, the desk chair, the television, everything that Danny had smashed earlier, all of it once more intact and apparently none the worse for wear. She shook her head and whistled. That is both the most useful and the scariest bit of magic I think I've ever personally seen. Danny sat on the bed and glared at her, saying nothing. I brought you some dinner, Sasha said, setting the tray on the table. It's from that Rukilian place on 87th that Daniel likes. She glanced at Danny and showed her a half-smile. I hope that's all right. I haven't gotten to know you all that well yet, so I had to make a guess that you two would have similar tastes. She went back over to her chair by the door and sat down, crossing one foot over the other and folding her hands in her lap. Danny was hungry enough that she would have been tempted by anything that even remotely resembled food. The smell of the lamb curry was like a deva promising a passport to paradise. But she hadn't forgotten for a moment where she was. It's a trick she said. You've done something to the food. Drugs, maybe, or some kind of potion. Sasha's eyebrows shot up. What makes you think we would do something like that? she asked. She kept her tone neutral, 
as though she were merely politely interested in a matter that had nothing to do with her personally. Fucking shrinks. Well, let's see, Danny said, her voice dripping with sarcasm. You take me away from the man I love, stick me in a private prison run by a crazy wizard, and then say you're going to cure me of this mysterious, horrible affliction that nobody's ever heard of and nobody's quite sure even exists. In fact, the only symptom seems to be that I was actually happy for once in my life. She spread her hands and gave Sasha a wide-eyed, mock-innocent expression. Gosh, I don't know, Sasha. Why do you think I'm suspicious? The corner of Sasha's mouth twitched, some facial expression that she covered before it could even show itself. Her crystal blue eyes turned to grave. The food is safe, Danny. No drugs, no magic. She lifted a hand from her lap and held it out toward Danny, fingers splayed. Look, I'm dropping my shields. Look in my mind and see for yourself. Danny glanced at the food, then back at Sasha. You're just trying to get in my head. Sasha sighed and rubbed her temples with her other hand. Danny, if I really wanted to get into your mind, I wouldn't need to trick you to do it. Danny scowled, but she got to her feet and cautiously approached the woman. Stretching out one hand, she lightly touched her fingertips to Sasha's palm. She reached out with her own meager telepathic talent and combed through Sasha's thoughts, looking for any sign that she was lying about the food. As near as she could tell, she wasn't. On the other hand, she did find memories of Sasha and Rebecca doing some kind of incantation to help Daniel hijack her mind. Her fist clenched, and she briefly entertained the thought of driving it straight into Sasha's face. She fought back the impulse, though, because she could also see why the two women had done what they did. For all that their meddling had screwed up Danny's life, they had done it out of love. They really, honestly believed that they were helping her. Saving her, even. They had a bunch of stupid, crazy ideas about Jared. And they think I'm paranoid. But they were driven by compassion and genuine affection. Not just for Daniel, as she might have guessed, but for Daniel and Danny as a unified person. Even after the deliberately cruel things Danny had said to Rebecca, they still cared about her. Which made it really hard for Danny to hate them. She snatched her hand away from Sasha's, growling in disgust. She stalked across the room, sat down, and began to eat. After she polished off the curry, she took a long drink from the glass of mango juice that Sasha had ever so thoughtfully included. Then she got up and straddled the chair backwards, resting her arms on the seat back. Like it or not, she knew she wasn't getting out of here until she played Sasha's little game and answered her questions. Maybe Danny could persuade her to let her go if she cooperated. I know you think you're helping me, she said. But you guys would have done a lot more good if you just left me the hell alone. Sasha pulled her chair halfway across the room and sat down again. I'm not so sure about that, she said gently. Think about it, Danny. You were completely repressing half of yourself. You can see Daniel's memories, right? You know how hurt he was by what you did to him. 
You know how cut off he felt, how isolated, how rejected. You told Rebecca that he was dead, but that wasn't really true. He was just trapped inside you and couldn't get out. Danny looked down at the floor, feeling the heat rise into her cheeks. Look, I'm sorry for what Daniel was going through. I didn't realize that was happening to him. Hells, I didn't know there was a him that was separate from me. She looked back at Sasha and narrowed her eyes. But that doesn't give him the right to screw up my life. I was repressing him without realizing it. He kidnapped me and put me in this glorified jail cell. How is that any better? If he were planning on leaving you here, it wouldn't be, Sasha said. But that isn't what he wants. Look inside your shared memories, Danny. He wants to find a way to live with you. He didn't have to do this, Danny protested. We could have worked something out with Jared. If he could have just, just talked to me or, I don't know, done something to let us know he was there. We could have made it work. Sasha sat back in her chair and steepled her fingers. She fell silent for a long moment, her brow furrowed in thought. Danny took a piece of flatbread from the tray and mopped up a bit of vegetable korma while she waited for the other woman to speak. Something I'm curious about, Sasha said at last, touching the tips of her index fingers to her bottom lip. After you had sex with Jared that first time, did you ever change back into Daniel? Danny shook her head. Why not? Danny chewed, swallowed, and took another drink before answering. I didn't like it. She shrugged. Didn't want to remind myself of the old me anymore. And why was Daniel so totally connected in your mind to your old self? Sasha asked. After all, you became an androgyne, not a full-blooded woman. Daniel's as much a part of who you are now as Danny is. Most androgynes don't spend all their time in just one gender, do they? Danny frowned, thinking of Evan and Ava. She'd gotten most of her advice from Ava, but Evan had been the one who'd picked up the phone as often as not. I guess not, she admitted. Sasha gestured toward Danny with one hand. So why did you never change back? I know there were parts of Daniel's life he enjoyed. Skyball and martial arts, just to name two. Have you played any pickup games since you started dating Jared? Have you been to the Somnok even once? Danny shook her head again. Why not? Those used to be regular pastimes, things you liked doing. Danny sighed. She felt inarticulate, uncomfortable with Sasha's questions, and that frustrated her. I don't know. It just never felt right. Those were the things Daniel did, and I felt more at home being Danny. Sasha leaned forward, gazing at her intently. And what does Danny enjoy? What do you like doing instead of playing Skyball or visiting the Somnok? Danny considered that. Jared and I go dancing. We go for walks. I've been helping him organize his photo albums. I like cooking with him. She smiled. This one time, we went to the library and spent the evening looking for the worst, sappiest love poetry we could find, and then reading it to each other. Anything else? Anything that doesn't involve Jared? Danny glared at her. We're in love, Sasha. 
we like spending time together. Even people in love have their own hobbies and pastimes, Sasha pointed out. Rebecca paints. Brian has a wargaming group that he meets with in virtual. Fiona competes in free-running tournaments. She grinned. Me? I write slash fiction for popular TV shows. Yes, we love each other, and we spend a lot of time together. But we do have lives of our own. What does Danny like to do? Danny frowned and turned back to her plate, pushing the remains of the food in little circles. I guess I hadn't given it much thought, she said slowly. Everything with Jared happened so fast, I haven't needed to worry about that. Whenever I'm around him, just being with him is enough. And that's part of what concerns me, Sasha said gravely. Healthy people don't orient their entire lives around another person, Danny. Like you said, that relationship with Jared happened fast. So fast that you haven't figured out who you are when you aren't around him. And in the process, it looks like any part of you that wasn't part of that relationship got pushed to the back and suppressed. Danny turned back to Sasha, letting their eyes meet. A loud and defensive corner of her mind screamed at her that Sasha was trying to trick her, trying to manipulate her, trying to brainwash her in the same way that they had accused Jared of doing. But she looked in Sasha's eyes and saw only genuine, honest concern. Yes, Sasha was a shrink. Yes, she was skilled at working people over. And yes, she was one heck of a telepath. But right now, Danny didn't believe Sasha was trying to trick her. And besides, what she had said about healthy people not building their lives around one person... That had the unpleasant sting of truth. She looked away again. Maybe. Maybe you're right. Tears rose unexpectedly in her eyes, and she wiped them away. But damn it, I was happy, Sasha. So what if that's not healthy? She looked back at Sasha, her voice pleading. I had someone who loved me, and a place where I belonged. That's more than Daniel had. More tears came, and Danny squeezed her eyes shut as she covered her face with her hand. A moment later, she felt small, gentle hands take hold of her free hand. Sasha's presence flowed up to the edges of her mind, offering comfort, if Danny were willing to take it. You still do have someone who loves you, Danny, Sasha said. Someone who loves all of you. She's sitting outside right now and listening to us. She wants to talk to you if you're willing. Danny snorted as she raised a paper-thin wall between her mind and Sasha's. Does she know that Brian told Daniel not to fuck her until the rest of you give him your blessing? Gods, you treat her like a little kid. Sasha's grip on her hand tightened, not in anger, but just enough to make sure Danny paid attention to her. Fiona and I had the same talk with Rebecca while Brian was talking to you. She understands how we feel and agreed to respect our wishes. That's not treating her like a child. It's being open and honest with each other and setting boundaries that honor our commitment to each other. That's how you make relationships work. Sasha withdrew her mind from Danny's, respecting the boundary she had put in place.
She let go of Danny's hand and rose to her feet. You may not believe this right now, but we all care about you, Danny. We want to help you find that place of belonging that you're looking for. But we're not going to let you lock up Daniel again in order to do it. If you want to be happy, if you want to find a way to live your life as a whole, complete person, then you're going to have to figure out how to get along with Daniel. Danny said nothing. She wanted to trust Sasha. She wanted to believe that things could work out, that she could find a way to live with Daniel without them always fighting each other. But she still loved Jared, and being separated from him hurt more than it had hurt when Daniel had been separated from Rebecca. A man she had known for a few weeks was inside her heart as thoroughly as the woman Daniel had grown up loving. It was intense and passionate and surprising and strange. Very, very strange. She hadn't wanted to think about it before, but maybe that meant something. Do you want me to send Becca in? Sasha asked, her voice low. Danny shook her head. No, not yet. I think... I think I need to talk to Evan and Ava. Sasha paused. Who? she asked, puzzled. Evan and Ava Selindi, Danny said, looking up at her again. They're the ones who gave me the idea to try being an androgyne. I want to see them. She crossed her arms and set her jaw. Unless the warden isn't allowing visitors. Sasha winced at that, but she nodded. All right. How can I get in touch with them? Danny grabbed a pencil and notepad from the desk and wrote down the androgyne's phone number. She tore off the top sheet and handed it to Sasha. They're pretty easy to get a hold of. Just don't call before 10 a.m. on the weekends. Evan's not exactly a morning person. Sasha smirked and tucked the paper into her pocket. I'll get them here as soon as I can. In the meantime, you might want to think about getting some rest. Yeah, abduction takes a lot out of a girl. Danny refrained from saying the words, and she hoped that Sasha hadn't heard them. The blonde left without further comment. When she was gone, Danny turned around and finished her meal. As she pushed back her tray, her eyes fell on the notepad. The pencil was in her hand before she'd given it much thought. She wrote across the top of the pad in large block letters, Who I am when I'm not with Jared. She underlined it, then wrote a number one on the line below it. She paused, pencil poised over the notepad, and thought. She sat there like that for a very long time. And that's the end of Chapter 40. Come back next time, when Miriam faces the consequences of her involvement in the Viscount Raid. Robert Ludlum said, To me, storytelling is first a craft. Then, if you're lucky, it becomes an art form. But first, it's got to be a craft. So, let's see what I've crafted this week. 
Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of August 21st through August 27th. I wrote 1,120 words this week, over the course of 1.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 747 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 71 days without breaking my chain. This was our first week back home after our vacation in Michigan, and it was an awfully busy one. This coming Saturday, my wife Mel is opening her new photography studio with a gallery show, and we were over at the studio almost every night this week, getting the space ready for the public. That didn't leave a lot of time for writing, or for working on the podcast. I did finish two more podcast episodes this week, though, bringing my total to eight so far for the month of August. That extends my buffer through the third week of October, which is the farthest ahead I've been since April. Apart from that, I just worked on some scripts for the podcast. I've got to say, though, all the work we've put into Mel's new space has been worth it. The studio looks great, and it's thrilling to see all her hard work on display up there on the walls. I'm really proud of what Mel has accomplished this year, and I believe it's just the start of bigger and better things ahead. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.